Boy, she sounded a little slow there, didn't she, when she said that? Are we going to stay on topic today, or? I don't know. Do we ever? We'll do our best. What's our? Let's lay out the agenda for all to hear, so we have to stay to it. Okay, go so through. first of all, this is Easton Podcast number 141. I'm George Techmanchev here with Steve the... Big Cat. Anderson. And it's uh, Tokyo Insider number eight in our series on the Olympic Games. Steve, uh, you want you want structure. I know you do. And you deserve structure. You do. We've you deserve it. Doing like an office clean out here and structure is a thing now. Like we want, we've been getting rid of clutter. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. New carpet. So that's cool. Oh, boy, that place has yeah, been so doing new carpet for decades. Oh, that is a fact. That is a fact. Um, not the well, people may not know. Uh, you know, our our workspace not the glitziest of of places. No, very but, um, you know. very oriented toward getting stuff done. Not so much toward uh, luxury, shall we say? There's no luxury involved. But no, that's okay. It's fine. I don't mind it but now i have nice carpet and it doesn't uh cause sinus problems anyhow we've already gone down the road we didn't intend to go on so structure is where we want to be um that's my new thing so okay so lay out what's on the schedule what would you like to have on the schedule steve i would like to talk about we have a cornucopia of stuff to talk about here yes i'd like to talk about the mixed team results let's do that Steam, and then I would like to talk about something with Tom Dillon. If you okay, we can do that. Could just if we could just like mixed, call him up real includes, quick. Yeah, we maybe can we that. just call and, him up real quick, and he talks about stuff that happened like three days ago in mixed team and nothing thereafter. Maybe like as if we hadn't recorded it three days ago. We can do that, and then <laughs> and then we talk about women's team, and then we talk oh. about men's team, and then we okay. talk about. Uh, one of the world archery proposed rules that people are saying is gonna gonna for sure pass at the Congress. Oh yeah, that, that thing you're wrong about. Yeah. Okay. Okay. We'll we'll do that. Let's start mixed team. Hey, it was history being made, right? Mixed team, first time at the Olympic Games, and of course that meant a new recurve mixed team Olympic record. And San Kim Ji Duk having shot the new record of 1368 so that'll be the benchmark score going forward at least for the olympic games and uh so remember the number 1368 new olympic record and to nobody's surprise korea pretty much crushed yeah they uh i think so for i don't know i don't know what i'm saying here but you and I have spent a lot of time at like 2 a.m. these last few days watching archery and yep. texting back and forth. This is the most I've been up past midnight since like college, probably. Um, but we were, you know, we both were like, this freaking kid, Kim Dejak, is going to be a megastar. If absolutely. The problem is he has to stay on the team, which is so hard. You know, if he was in another country, we, we would see him for the next 20 years but uh the way he shoots if i shot a recurve i'd want to look like him doing it his form is really really great it's, it's simple it's really good yes. i mean he's just really really good but it's so basic it is, right 
I think to both of us, it has exposed other forms that we're like, you know, we didn't necessarily look at them as having issues, but now we're seeing like, oh, wow. Like now it really, not that he's doing anything new. I mean, he looks like what a lot of Korean shooters have looked like. Um, he reminds me of, of how a lot of the women shoot that technique. Um, but he just does it with strength, simplicity, you know, and then he's got some, he's not a robot. Like he'll, he'll pump a 10 in there and he'll be yelling like a kid who's about to go try to knock someone's block off in a varsity football game. You know, he gets really hyped up and I kind of like that. It's nice to see emotion and something out of those guys. Yeah. World archery likes it too. And um, you know, if there were a crowd in this venue, they would certainly appreciate it as well. I'm not so sure about the other competitors listening to that while that's going on, but you remember, Braden Galantine used to get some flack for a similar kind of display of emotion. And it turns out in the long run, people really appreciate that more than not. Yeah. This is important. You know, even in golf, they, they yell more now. So this isn't, I don't know, this isn't equestrian. Like, you know, there's, there's a time and play. You can get a little hyped up. I think it shouldn't seem fake, you know, some people, you see them do it, and you're like, oh, you're really, like, forcing that. Like, you don't seem like a very uh, enthusiastic, energetic person, you know? Right, but right. Not this kid. This kid's out there. And I think, you know, I, I was imagining how, how do these team conversations go because these teams, they probably joke about the same stupid stuff that, you know, Team USA would joke about. They probably make fun of the same stuff. Um but ultimately, those guys are also they're they're very serious competitors, and I'm imagining Kim Woo Jin and and Oh are like, hey, that's not us, but you do your thing, you know, like you just be yourself. I, I would imagine that's how they are, they're speaking to him because they are a lot different from him on the shooting yeah, line. They're not so. they're not very animated at all. Um, you know, it, there's and, and when you're watching the mix team. <laughs> Uh, he was entirely, you know, Kim DeJac was entirely different from Ann Sen. She is, uh, she's the opposite of him. A very yes. measured. Someone's like many of the Korean women tend to be. I mean, I, yeah. I'd say Kang, yeah. Kang probably is the closest to somebody who shows, you know, a certain level of, of emotion. But generally speaking, if we paint with a broad brush, the Korean women tend to be pretty calm, uh, certainly when they're doing their job. Yeah, they don't. There's no, there's no yelling, shouting, no excitement. They just, they just shoot the bow really well. Yeah, really, really well. And that was evident in in the mixed team round where we had a number of uh, great teams go up against each other. I'm happy to say that Mexico finally has made it to a podium um, after after you know I think the last time I saw Mexico on a major podium was uh, was Ida Roman in London. Um, Steve, correct me if I'm wrong, but you know, when you're yeah. talking about, you know, that kind of thing. So I don't the, know L- if they've L- ever L- had, got it done. Yeah. I don't know if they've ever had a man get a, a medal in archery. I don't know. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. I'm pretty sure that Luis Alvarez, El Abuelo, that bronze medal that, um, you know, he helped earn is certainly going to be going down in the history books. Alejandro Valencia, who, um, you know, was very disappointed in London to some degree. Uh, she finally has her Olympic bronze medal. 
Yeah. And, and that was a great performance against Turkey, which, you know, Turkey's come up fourth in a lot of events and uh, you kind of feel for them because they're great shooters. Um, Turkey's a great archery country. Turkey's done so much for our sport in terms of putting on world cups and, and really just pulling out the stops when it comes to putting on events, so many successful events in Turkey, but they just haven't quite had the success at tournaments that, uh, that they could have. And your favorite archer, had his shot, Steve. Yeah, Meat, also known as Mete. Um, and you know what? That takes me to my belief that, you know, previously we'd always seen that first-time Olympians tended to have the most success, and that might still be the case. But I think, uh, I think repeat Olympians will, will start to achieve better performances because there's so many young ones. that, And now the sport kind of allows them to do it a little bit longer, you know, a lot of people yeah, having, having those extra chances. Olympic, yeah. A lot of Olympic recurvers, they were, they, they came and did it till they were, you know, 24. And then they're like, Oh, I got to go get a job because they didn't have the, the structure in place to go and be a professional archer in the, the years between Olympics and make money and, you know, start building, building, uh, you know, a career, a career out of it like they do yeah. now. Yeah. And now they can't, you know, there's still a little bit of, it's, it's very hard to be an, an archer and just, and just an archer and then transition out of that. Cause it doesn't last long. I mean, you know, Oh, is a dinosaur at 38. So, but people like Meta, I think, you know, he'll, he'll get another shot at the games and I think he'll be better at his second one, you know, and, and I, and there's a lot of people who I believe that about now. I think the, the first game stigma is, is going to go. And that, like I said, that doesn't mean that first first time Olympians aren't going to have their success, but it doesn't it doesn't feel like you have to be a first time Olympian to be good. And I think another proof of that was what we saw with Netherlands. Um, big deal for Netherlands to have taken the silver medal in the mixed team event at these oh, games. Yeah. Huge. Yeah. Yep, and um, that also Weiler, that half the podium was made up of Mexican archers. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> if you look you know, at Gabby it objectively. For, yeah, Gabby competed for Mexico at the last Olympics. Correct. And, you know, Steve Weiler, her uh, teammate, um, Steve, a, a great shooter. But this is the first time Netherlands has brought home an Olympic medal since 2000 when Witsi van Alten took the bronze in Sydney. Um, Did they have a team medal as well, the, the men back in the day? I don't think so. Um, I'm, I'm thinking not, but yeah, maybe now that you mention it. I'm looking it up. What, what well, it London. London. They, uh, they did pretty well in London, but uh, you're looking at a situation where basically as far as individuals go, uh, you know, the last time Netherlands medaled at the games was all the way back in 2000. So, and, you know, I think that that is a great testimony to um, their ability to have found themselves in this gold medal match with Korea and get a point, the three points, in fact, off of Korea. Korea beat them 5-3, but Netherlands hung in there. They, they came out of the gate swinging. They, they shot a 38 to Korea's 35 to start, and then Korea beat them by a point on the next set um, and kind of ran away with it after that. But, you know, they, they had a tie at 39 points each on the final set. You have got to say they did not, you know, the never say die attitude kind of hung in there for 
for Netherlands. That was a spectacular match. Yeah, um, they they got a they got a set off and right, and that was kind of more than what a lot of people thought would happen. Yeah, and tied another one. Yeah, so that's it's pretty impressive that in and of itself. It it's sad to say that you know, and we were talking about that last night. I don't want to jump ahead too far, but we were talking about that with another one of the matches. We said, do you think do you think they'll get a point off them? Yeah, and we were we were very surprised. We weren't very surprised, but. They did, you know, that particular match, they got more than a point off the Korean team. Took it right down to the wire, came within a centimeter of, of you know, winning a yeah. shootoff. We'll, we'll get into this, but first, yeah. let's get the perspective of Tom Dillon. Yeah, um, Tom's been there, seen it firsthand. Call him up. Yeah. Call him up. Here he is. It has been a busy time in Tokyo. So much already accomplished. Um, I know that because of Olympic broadcasting rules and some other things, we can't talk about some stuff. But hopefully we can recount some of the big WA-related developments that have taken place in the last few days. New records. What a what a great performance from Korea. Yes, uh, I think uh, everyone was uh, wanting to see how they were doing. And uh, since we hadn't seen them for uh, for quite a bit of time, uh, people were asking themselves, okay, well, who, what the Koreans are going to do? Uh, and I would say if we look at the other teams that weren't here, uh, it's clear that the other teams have suffered from not having international uh, competition, but uh, uh, the Koreans clearly were uh, very well prepared and uh, um, have shown uh, tremendous uh, results so far. And especially the, the, the two youngsters on the block, uh, the youngest uh, athlete uh, participating has a gold medal already. Kim Ji-dyuk, 17-year-old, he was the top man in the uh, ranking round. And he is looking unstoppable, Tom. He's just, just brilliant. Absolutely. Uh, I, the problem with, with, of course, with the Korean team is, is not so much uh, having uh, results at, at, I would say, our events or, or the Olympics or Asian Games and so on. It's, it's getting back on the team every time. And uh, so, uh, but with, with, he's really considered the, 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 the wonder kit of the Korean team. So, uh, uh, and, and he's, he was. So I would say emotional, and, and I would say, and he he's really has a an expression. Uh, his reaction after uh, his shooting and so on is fantastic. So um, yeah, only Ojin Hyuk in recent years has had that kind of power to come back again and again. And it's really hard, of course, to predict the trajectory of a seventeen-year-old, but we do hope to be seeing more of him. He brings a great personality to the game as well as talent. And, uh, and that was tremendous new records in a tough field. Um, again, attesting to Korea's potential, uh, new Olympic record for Ansan. And we also saw some other records as well. Yeah, no. Uh, and then, okay. It was, uh, the, the, the famous, uh, 96 record that fell finally. <laughs> and, uh, it's, uh, some people ask, ah, oh, but there was a score shot higher in Athens and yes there was a score shot higher in Athens uh, by Park Sun Young but that was not an Olympic record because at that time IOC did not allow a uh, record shot before the opening ceremony to be counted as an Olympic record so it is the new Olympic record even if we had a higher score some years ago in Athens yes so 25 year old record fallen uh, of course absolute props to Miss Park for having 
achieved an even two-point higher score back at the Athens Games. But as you point out, at the time, IOC was not allowing Olympic records for events shot before the opening ceremony. And that has uh, changed, I think, in time for, uh, uh, at the time of Beijing, if I'm not mistaken, Tom. Correct. And this was day of opening ceremony as it went. And, uh, you know, we saw some, some other great performances. Uh, we saw Ojin Juk uh, charge about 25 places to make it into the top uh, four on the, on the board. We saw Brady Ellison make his way up the board, especially in the second half, to help pull the USA team up. Another big milestone is the first Dutch Olympic medal in archery um, in many, many years. And I think that that is a huge accomplishment and another reason why the mixed team is so important. Uh, it's, 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 of course, fantastic that the Dutch, after three times finishing fourth in the individual, uh, and I would say after, of course, the, the brilliant bronze medal of, of Witsa van Alte in, in Sydney, have now that silver. And, and okay, they, 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 uh, they shot brilliantly. They were the only team that uh, was really making the life of the Korean mixed team difficult. And, and they, they were close. Uh, they led the match. The last set, 39. <laughs> what more can you do? One more, of course, but it was a great score. And then the, the, the Koreans uh, tied it. So uh, <laughs> it's, uh, uh, it's, 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 it's a great accomplishment. Uh, Steve and Gabby really shot well and... and yeah, they, they deserve the medal, they, uh, and they shot brilliantly. And a great accomplishment by both Turkey and Mexico to get into the bronze medal match. And it was Mexico, uh, Luis Alvarez and Alejandro Valencia, who defeated Turkey in that bronze medal match. A lot of pressure in that match, no doubt. But Mexico yes. uh, brought, it on, brought it in. Yeah, I... I I would say it's 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 it's, it's like the, the the Dutch. It was really the the, the day of, of of teams that that have the habit of of just missing out. Uh, the Mexican men's team uh, had that unfortunate situation uh, some years ago. Uh, the Turkish team uh, often has had four places, uh, so one of the two would be the lucky one of the day, and it was the Mexicans and and. Uh, I can tell you uh, it was a great atmosphere. Uh, we had a lot of Mexican uh, uh, officials uh, present and, and they were thrilled, I can tell you. The only, the only thing we, we are all, I would say, uh, anyone listening uh, who can put in uh, a good word for the weather gods uh, would be helpful because uh, we, we are expecting some typhoon uh, over the next few days. And uh, if we can get that one to divert away and go somewhere else and stay on, on the ocean, that would be helpful for everyone. Well, you know, what I suggest is go to the Shinto shrine and uh, lay an offering for uh, Fujin-sama. Fujin is the well, queen. I'm afraid, George, we have to follow the rules. It's not part of my activity plan, so I'm afraid I, I will have to ask someone else in Japan to do it for us because I have to behave, I have to follow the rules, and they're there to protect everyone, and it's good that we have them. Okay, hand a hundred yen coin to Yuko and have her go visit the shrine and that'll help solve the problem. I'm afraid Yuko has the same rules. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Tom, I know some people in Tokyo. I'll get it done. Thank you. Arigato. <laughs> so to Tom's point, we've got some interesting developments this week, um, you know, with the weather rolling in. Typhoons are nothing to uh, sneeze at. They're definitely 
going to be a factor. Uh, even if it hits to the north, which is how it seems to be tracking right now, the wind situation, Steve, is going to be something. So uh, the schedule is being changed. As we speak, World Archery has just posted up um, the changes to the schedule. And um, basically, with the heavy rain and the high winds expected uh, later today in Tokyo, which will be Tuesday, uh, we're speaking on Monday. It is Tuesday in Japan. Uh, there is a possibility, like I said, the worst of the weather is probably going to avoid Tokyo and the archery venue. But right now, the morning session scheduled for later today as we speak, that would be Monday evening here in the United States, Tuesday morning in Japan, is now delayed to noon in Japan. And the afternoon session is canceled for Tuesday on the official Olympic calendar. So all those first and second round matches that were supposed to take place in the afternoon are being spread across Wednesday and Thursday in Japan. Uh, so Tuesday and Wednesday here. And the women's and men's finals are still on for the 30th and 31st of July in Japan as planned. And it's interesting, Steve, we had a uh, rain delay for the first time at Beijing 2008. Uh, there was a one hour delay and uh, that was, you know, shot under the lights. The rain was epic, probably about four centimeters of rain in about half an hour. It was a lot of rain. However, uh, we've never seen a session cancellation. So this is a first. The cancellation of the afternoon session is a first for the Olympic Games in the modern era. Um and, you know, it's the right thing to do. Uh, they don't know for sure what's going to happen. You don't want people being stuck in a situation where they've got to shoot with 40 mile an hour winds. That's just stupid. So they're doing the right thing. Well, going back to what you said initially, a typhoon is nothing to sneeze at. I would always sneeze away from the typhoon so as not to get my sneeze rejected back into my face. It wouldn't matter. It comes down so hard it would wash off instantly. I remember okay. a few years ago, I was in Tokyo. I was supposed to go meet Yoshi for dinner, Yoshi and his family. And I got yes, literally, literally one yard out the hotel room door. And I was soaked to the skin in like three seconds. And I'm not exaggerating. It was sideways. And as it turns What's out, public he transport. He's good. I saw him yesterday. He was uh, running around the field uh, doing his photography work along with Dean Alberga. And uh, so I actually texted him. I said, hey, you look pretty good over there in the left-hand uh, photographer's blind. And he texted me back, bewildered. How did you know? <laughs> uh. <laughs> but I could clearly see it was him uh, going into the blinds during one of the breaks. And uh, so that, that was a little bit of fun. But um, yeah, he's doing good. Uh, you know, everybody in Japan, all our friends are, are, are dealing with things as best they can. And as, you know, as Tom mentioned, you know, everybody's under more or less the Olympic lockdown from, you know, even Yuko, uh, who's running the event, really literally can't go to the uh, Shinto shrine that happens to be uh, real close to the venue and offer a prayer to the, uh, the Japanese wind god to kind of take it easy on Yumenoshima, you know. So it's it's one of those situations where everybody's dealing with it as best they can. But it's not a normal Olympics, not at all. No, nothing is anymore. No, but it's, you know, it'll get back sooner or later. Okay, next on your agenda, because you're setting, you're setting the agenda. You're setting the standards here. You wanted to talk about the women's team round. Yeah, that's right. So 
You can't talk about the women's team without talking about Lisa Unruh a little bit. What a, yeah, what a. Individual what a silver winner of Rio 2016. Yes. And, and you, you gotta, you gotta say that she clinched Germany's team bronze medal on Sunday. Yeah. And you know what? Um, just going back to even Rio, I don't think Lisa typically qualifies super high, um, but she's always very good in matches. Very, very good in matches. And yeah, we saw her in the semis shoot that too. And you're like, what in the world happened? And she had an, a very interesting quote to world archery. She basically just said like, yeah, everything went wrong. F word. Um, and then, and then, you know, came back and shot some 10s and, and uh, they won the bronze. But that was a surprise because the way the brackets fell, I was like, they're not getting past Taipei. Like, Taipei just qualified bad, but they're they're normally, you know, a top three team. But they dusted Taipei and then just kept moving through, um, you know, and, and they yeah. shot really and well. And let's team. remember, I mean, Chinese Taipei is the reigning team world champion. So when Germany right. beat when Germany beat Chinese Taipei, that was a big deal. Yep. And then Mexico took a big loss to Germany. Uh, Ger Mexico was the second seed, a favorite for the podium. Yeah. So this right. is uh, this some, is a huge deal. I guess uh, you know I heard today that after the Paris World Cup, Anna Pau had a string break, and she's been struggling with that bow ever since. So I don't know. If, you know, string, a string break affected the bow or if she switched bows or just the different string just isn't jiving with her, but, or just a shot, you know, a lack of confidence that can occur, I, you know, but she's not, she's not at her best. She certainly wasn't where she was um, at Paris and other events we've seen her at this year. And yeah, just some, so that's kind of, that's kind of hard to hear. I feel bad for them. And and uh, they were they were one of the favorites, and, and Germany took it to them. Yeah. Speaking of broken bows, um, you know, while Lisa was celebrating, she kind of yeah. uh, bounced into into Charlene Schwartz's bow, and it unstrung itself pretty hard. Um, so hopefully, there's no damage there. But uh, I'm sure Win and Win is ready to take care of uh, uh, take care of uh, Charlene Schwartz's bow after Lisa's collision. <laughs> At least the uh, the thing was done at that point. They got plenty of time to yeah, get to their backup yeah. bow and all that stuff. You know, this uh, bronze medal sure. for Germany is the first team medal they've won since the bronze medal that they won in the 2000 Olympics in Sydney. So, you know, again, just a huge performance for the team of Germany. And, uh, you know, when it comes to the rest of the uh, of the news concerning the women's teams, obviously we have you know, the, the performance of Korea, uh, which has just been a juggernaut throughout these games. You're looking at a situation where they have generally started out super strong, generally have not had major threats to their supremacy. And I think that that was uh, exemplified as they went through the brackets. You know, they had a bye for the first pass, and they came up against Italy, beat them 6-0. And Korea had to take out Belarus. That went 5-1. And then the Korea versus, uh, yeah, yeah. And then Korea versus the um, the Russian Olympic Committee team. Uh, that was another clean 6-0. Uh, 
finish. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's just crushing. And Korea, you know. We talked about Russia, you know, they can, how they can be streaky. But we said they, they very well may be one of the teams to get up there. And certainly they did. You were correct. Absolutely. And um, I believe that was you that uh, called them out as having that potential. We had the disappointment of seeing the Russian Olympic Committee team beat the United States of America team of Mackenzie Brown, Casey Koffold, and Jennifer Musino-Fernandez. Um, and that was in straight sets. And the American team, quite frankly, did not um, get off to a good start. And they pulled together a reasonably good end at the end, but it was too late. And uh, we just didn't see the momentum that we would have hoped to see from the uh, USA team, which ranked third going into this thing. Here's uh, something I'll I gotta, tell you. Go ahead. Every, so they, they had the, the top four teams got a buy. Exactly. Those, I, I know where you're going with this. Those, I was going to bring up the yep, same thing. Three of the four lost. So yep. I don't yep. like that the that they have a buy. They get to – or the, the previous teams, right, the other teams, the lower-ranked teams, get to go out, get a match experience on the final stage and then come in against a team that's cold on it. That's why you see those losses. I mean, that's they, they got to change that format to where those are either contested on another day or bring in 16 teams and just run Steve, a 16-team you, you, bracket. You are, you are exactly in alignment with my thinking on this. I really – I was going to bring it up. You brought it up first. I absolutely agree with you. Uh, USA, Russia uh, – Russia had already beaten Ukraine 6-2. So Russia and Ukraine, they had four sets to shoot. They were able to get all those arrows out. USA had nothing but a 30-minute familiarization session five days before, four days before. Yeah. And that was it. They had 30 minutes on that field. So USA comes into this thing completely cold. Russia's already got the wind figured out. And that was the big factor, in my opinion, was yeah. – you know, uh, I mean, when you see a six coming out of the bow of one of the most talented shooters we've seen in years, you know, it's because they didn't know where to aim more yeah, than yeah. more when than they're back to back, almost identical spots. Yeah. 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 World yeah, archery, you, I'll, you know, I'll put my criticism. I would tell this directly to Tom, but they've, they've consistently missed on small nuances in the competition structure like this. Um, you know, they missed it at world field. They're missing it here. They figured it out at World Cups, and they said, okay, buys will no longer be shot on the same day or within the same session. You know, they, they, moved, they moved those around to where those with the first-round buy would, would shoot later on. And I don't know if that since has changed again or what, but they need, to, they need to address that so that they don't – these teams that are ranked lower don't have that competitive advantage because to see those upsets is just – it's cool. Some people like seeing upsets, but ultimately it's not good for the game. I agree with your point. However, I'm going to say this. WA um, is subordinate to IOC at this event. This is not a WA event, remember. And so these things are decided years, literally years in advance. And they have considerations for television. They have to consider uh, the fact that normally if you had spectators, you got spectators coming in and coming out. The tickets are for each segment, not for the whole event. And so to be completely fair, WA has its hands tied to some degree. Now, does that mean they they can't work on the potential for changing it for Paris? Uh, Of course they could. If if that's something that's 
needed. Um, but you know, to put this on WA isn't completely fair and I'm not suggesting you are, but I am saying that, you know, it's an IOC event and, and IOC is going to make ultimately that. that Well, then I'll tell the IOC that someone type in on your touch tone phone, Thomas box number. No, uh, the point is, I think there's ways around it and still do it in a, in a fashion that works. You know, they were calling these, those first event, those first matches, they call them the preliminaries shoot the preliminary events on the qualification field. That's, that's what I would do. Yep. You know, just like, just like qualification. Uh, The real solution is make it a 16 team event. You lose some of the fringe athletes and stuff like that, that are there for participation, but you make the individual round more competitive if you do that. Yeah. I think that that would be the quick fix. And I also think it would solve, you know, any, any, concern that people would have about this exact issue because it's I, i'm sorry but i think it's a real issue i really do yep. and it's it's why you know in wa events they do do it on a separate day you know so that everybody's coming in kind of clean and you know it's not a situation which is pretty much unique to the olympic games of people coming in completely cold i mean literally uh when casey and mac and jennifer walked into that place that was the first time except for a really short session uh, a few days before. And it's you know, yeah. obviously not the same conditions. So, yeah, but uh, ROC, uh, the Russian Olympic Committee team, um, went down to Korea 54 to 55 in the first set. It was three points down in the second set and three points down in the third set. So nowhere close to what Korea was able to accomplish with a 55, 56, and 54 to take that gold medal highly uh, dominating in that match, in that gold medal final. In a lot of ways, Belarus versus Germany was a little more interesting, strictly from the standpoint of, you know, just seeing what was going to happen. Um, and Belarus did get a point off Germany, so that was somewhat closer. All right, next up on Steve Anderson's agenda for this podcast, men's team. Boy, that was interesting. In a lot of yeah, ways. we we saw most of this one, right? I mean, I think we saw the bulk yeah. of it. We're yeah. commentating on it. Um, yeah, we were. <laughs> I, I got to turn of our the sound text. down. I had to turn the sound down. I cannot take. I just can't handle the NBC commentators. I just can't do it. Yeah, the one has a really interesting. I don't know if he's Australian or whatever. His voice is. It's a great. He's got a great voice when he comes in with energy but a lot of times i don't even know if he's there which is really weird i'm like is that guy there did he leave and like go announce another event real quick i don't know and the other guy is a freaking drone he sucks well and and you know they need better fact checkers there's a bunch of listen everything you need to know about nbc's fact checkers is right on the front page of their tv selection screen for archery which has a freaking compound bow as their image and with not a just a compound bow, a guy doing a sky draw with a compound bow. Yeah. A sky draw. I don't know if he's drawing bow yet, but look at it. <laughs> the yeah, there's a certain group of people who would who would really believe that that's a sky draw. Let me go look at it. I'm pulling it up. It's a sky you draw. Gotta you got to trust me on this. I'm telling you right now because look where his oh. front arm is. It doesn't show it on the on the computer. You got to pull it up on your phone i think maybe yeah, they well, have deleted it well maybe maybe because i know that uh 
I know that Jack Williams' dad got a hold of NBC and was complaining to them about it. So maybe maybe they did something. It's gone. Jack Williams' dad is a former TV star. Did you know that? I didn't know that, but I'm not surprised. He was on Supermarket Sweep in the 90s. I never heard of it, but okay, I'll take your word for you it. You never heard of Supermarket Sweep? I didn't watch TV very much in the 90s, to be brutally uh, honest with you. It was a great game show where they guessed supermarket prices and then had a race through to, you know, like get a grocery list fulfilled. And it was, it was great, great TV show. It was on Netflix and the episode he was on is on Netflix. So you might, might be able to go watch that there. I'll look it up. I'll send you the link. Okay. Now then you who wanted structure to the podcast, let's get back to the recurve. We're, we're on the right topic. I mean, we, we haven't bounced from one to the next, so we're doing just fine. Way better than our previous couple of podcasts. Okay. So going forward, we'll absolutely defer to your, your, uh, guidance in this area. Oh, I, I, I'm no, once the Olympics is done, I'm not going to have structure in any of this ever again. We'll just go back okay. to what we normally do. All right, fine. Men's recurve team results. Now coming out of this, of course, uh, we had Korea ranked number one with a big score, 2049. Nobody was going to come close to catching them. Um, right out of the box, they are up against India coming off of India versus Kazakhstan, where India had beaten Kazakhstan 6-2. And um, Korea just crushed them, opening with a 59 to India's 54. Then another 59 to India's 57. Then a 56 to 54. It was OVA. So now Korea's in the semifinals. The next bracket's got yep. USA versus France. USA crushed France. Brady, Jack, and Jacob crushed Thomas Hirol and Pierre Plion and Jean-Charles Valadon, 6-0. And Jean-Charles ran out of time in the second set. What was the coach doing? What was the coach thinking is a question that's probably going to be asked. You I know, didn't see nobody, it. Was, was the coach staring through the the? It, it looked like he scope? wasn't looking at the clock. Yeah, I, quite frankly. That's the yes. second time. Right back yeah. in about 2013. Um, Different indoor coach. World Cup final. Whoever was coaching, uh, freak, I forget her name. Compound female. Um, whoever was coaching her from France was just staring through their binoculars, and she ran out of time too. Yeah. Well, I, I know who you're talking about. That's a friend of mine, so I'm not going to bring it up. But I will tell you right now that the French coach, or uh, honestly, the team members. I mean, come on. When's the last time you saw a team not give a count? Yeah. And the clock's getting short. Ugh. Honestly, seriously, I, I'd be I'd be upset if I were Jean Charles, but they've got some they got some work to do individually. Um, they have the potential. Each one of those guys is a good shooter, but that was you know crushing for them. Um, USA just crushed them. Fifty-two in the first pass to 51, 55 to forty-five after you know, having to score an M because of the time clock running out and then 58, 44. And so USA comes cruising into this thing looking pretty good. Now Japan's coming in against USA and Japan is coming into this venue cold. Okay. USA has just beaten France. Correct. Japan crushed USA. Correct. There's no other way to put it. Japan it opens was, with a 55. Uh, yeah. USA, USA with a, a bit crushed themselves too. There was a bit of that. 
fair enough. Tie on the second pass on the second set, 53-53. And then Japan just drops the 55 on USA's 53. Japan is now going into the semifinals against Korea. Now, China had uh, been third in the ranking round. So they're up against the winner of Australia versus Chinese Taipei. And it was a close match. I really like the way you're laying this out there. You're doing a good job. Well, thank you. Chinese Taipei versus Australia. And you're looking at a situation where that was a close match. It was 4-4. get their feet under them early, but then they yes. did and they shot it well. Yes. Australia opened with a 53. Chinese Taipei opened with a 48. But then Chinese Taipei follows up with a 55. Australia repeats with a 53. Australia comes back with a 57. Chinese Taipei with a 55. So now we're, we're looking at a very interesting situation, right? And then Chinese Taipei drops the 58 on Australia's 52. Now, Australia is a very experienced team. I mean, you got David Barnes. Barnes, he goes all the way back to 2004. You got Ryan Tyak, world indoor champion. You got Taylor Worth, two-time Olympian. You've got a situation where you've got a very experienced team up against some guys that, you know, except for Wei Chung King, are not highly experienced shooters from Chinese Taipei, but clearly talented. It's a shoot-off situation. At the end, Chinese Taipei takes it 28 to 27 on the shoot off. So now Chinese Taipei finds itself against People's Republic of China. And politics aside, that's going to get a lot of attention. So going into the quarterfinals, you know, you've got a situation where Chinese Taipei is taking on People's Republic of China. Again, more or less an untested team. I mean, you know, China has not been showing these three guys very much. Chinese Taipei and China open with 55s each. And then Chinese Taipei opens the tap, 54 to China's 50. And for the final, it's 56 to 54 on the last set. Chinese Taipei moves into the semifinal bracket. Then you got Indonesia versus Great Britain. Great Britain did a great job. They dropped a 6-0 on Indonesia. So going into this, now they're coming up against Netherlands. Netherlands is coming in cold. Gies Broxma and Chef Vandenberg and Steve Weiler are coming in against a team that has just beaten Indonesia 6-0. Netherlands crushed them. They crushed them. It was Yeah, that was a again your best chance when uh when you're going up against an opponent who's coming in cold like Netherlands did is you got to get them in the first you got to get them in the first set. Yep, and, and that uh, first set was a tie. Yeah. And, you know, Taipei also tied China in the first set, but they, they still made it work. Um, but Great Britain not only tied the first set, then they took the second set. They had it. They had the lead. They went 54, 57, and then they just fell apart. Yep. No other way to put it. I don't know how else to put it. So here's our semifinalists. We've got Korea versus Japan. We've got Chinese Taipei versus Netherlands. Winners of this are going on to the gold medal round. The winning impaired will shoot for bronze. First, we had winning Korea in Paris. Versus, That's nice. Well, I was trying to be nice. Korea versus the losers. Japan. Yeah, well, <laughs> uh, let me say this. Both teams, Korea and Japan, nobody screwed up. Nobody made a mistake. Nobody shot an arrow that you went, oh. They shot strong, both of them. But Korea comes out of the gate with a 58 to Japan's 54. But then... Japan drops a 55 on Korea. Did you skip over the quarterfinals? 
Uh, no. Uh, did we? Yeah, I don't think you talked about the quarterfinals, Korea over India. USA well, that's what editing. That's what editing is so good for, Steve. So we're going to leave about a one second gap. So on to the quarterfinals. <laughs> continuing with the quarterfinals. Are you using the INSEO bracket right now? No, no, no. Listen, I already, oh. I already went through the bracket. I went through the bracket. I went through the bracket. Netherlands versus GBR. That's the quarterfinal. Netherlands crushes GBR. So oh, now we're in the semifinals. Yeah. All right. Yeah, you did. I'm. It's my fault. The INSEO tail thing. You click forward and it doesn't. I don't know. It's weird. It is. Okay. Let's now it is we're into the semifinals. I have ruined this podcast. Moving on to the semifinals. Yes, but I'm going to edit this in such a way that nobody will ever know that you did that. Just leave it. Don't even worry. I'm not going to leave it. I'm going to edit it out so nobody will ever know that you actually made a mistake for the first time in the history of the podcast. We'll just. Uh, uh, I, I have a feeling this is going to stay. Yeah. Picking it up right now. Semifinals. We've got Korea versus Japan. We've got Chinese Taipei versus Netherlands. The winners are going to shoot for gold. The winning impaired will be shooting for bronze. Chinese Taipei versus Netherlands crushed them. 6-0. 56 to 53. 54 to 52. 59. Yeah. Putting an exclamation point on it to 55. So clearly, yep. yeah. Now, the other match, though, oh, boy, that could have gone either way. And it oh. almost did. Oh, boy. Korea versus Japan. Uh, you know, the guys on the Japanese team are friends of mine. So, you know, I'm looking at this thing and I'm like, ah, well, you know, they, they, they've come this far. They're, you know, uh, if they go out now, nobody's going to say that they didn't do their best. And uh-uh, no, they weren't having it. Korea opens with 58. Japan opens with 54. So Korea, boom, two set points, right? But then Japan drops a 55 on Korea's 54. And I saw fear on the faces of Korea. And I'm not kidding. And fear can be a powerful tool because Korea comes back with a 58 to Japan's 55. But then Japan comes back with a 56 to Korea's 53, and we've got a shoot-off. Yeah, so thank Korea, the set system for that because Korea's uh -huh. plus three in aggregate score. Correct. But we have a shoot-off. And now you've got a situation where Korea drops a nine in there first. Japan yes. shoots a nine. Then Korea shoots a 10. Japan matches it. Kim Jae-dyuk. Yep. And then the last arrow, Korea shoots a 9. Opportunity for Japan. Muto, Hiroki Muto, has to shoot a 10. Now, Korea's got that 10, probably two centimeters into the 10 ring. It's a, It was right on the X ring. It was right on the X yeah. ring. I remember that. Yep. Yep. Japan. Rokimuto gets up there, shoots a clutch shot just outside the ring. Yeah, a centimeter off. Outside just a bit, right? So now you're looking at a situation where Korea has won by distance from center. Yep. That, uh, that the whole Japan's group was, I texted you, I said, they're they are a sight click away. But you can't, you can't move that sight click. And, that, you know, you don't know that. Nope. Yeah, um, exactly. They had, a, they, they had, had an X-ring sized group at 10 p.m. Exactly. Two of them. Exactly. Two of them just off. One just touching. Yep. So, 
So now Japan's up against Netherlands for the bronze medal. Now, you and I both know this. A lot of our listeners probably don't, but a lot of them probably do. Any medal is a big deal in most countries. It's just us Americans and a few others that have a tendency to only glorify gold medals. But any Olympic medal is a big deal in 156, 155 out of 156 world archery countries. So not to put too fine a point on it, it's a big deal to take home an Olympic medal. And Japan versus Netherlands, they both want this. They want it bad. Out of the box, Netherlands opens with a brilliant 58. Japan, 55. Then Japan comes back with a 54. Netherlands can only deliver 52. Then Netherlands drops a 57 on Japan's 53. But Japan comes back with a 57 to Netherlands 56. I would say that's about as close as you can get to having two very evenly matched teams. Would you agree? And remember, Netherlands they, is ranked yeah, second. The way, just the way they were shooting coming in, they were very evenly matched. Yep. This was the most evenly, one of the most evenly matched matches I've seen in a long time. Remember, coming into this, Netherlands was ranked second and Japan was ranked fourth. Now you've got a shoot off. Now, Japan and Netherlands both keep their same order. So you've got a situation where you've got Steve Weiler, Gies Broxma, and Chef Vandenberg. You've got uh, the way this started out was um, you had Yuki Kawata of Japan, followed by the 2012 Olympic silver medalist, Takaharu Furukawa. And then the last shot is up to Hiroki Muto, the same Hiroki Muto who had the chance to beat Korea with a 10 in the previous match. 28 points on the board for Netherlands and a better 28 for Japan with Hiroki Muto taking a clutch shot, getting the 10 when he needed it. One shot, one life is an old Japanese saying. And boy, did that get distilled into one shot, one life on that one. It was glorious. Here's some uh, saber metrics for you. Some archery saber metrics brought to you by me. Um, Japan only had two ends the entire team competition where they shot over 55. That's kind of the, uh, I mean, they were consistent. They weren't, they didn't very, very, uh, very they didn't waver very far from 55, uh, which is why they were able to get through. But um, they were they were beneficiaries of set system play. That is for sure. Absolutely. Netherlands. So Netherlands in that final the bronze match alone shot three ends over 55. Yeah. But you know you throw a 52 in there, and you know unfortunate for them, one of their they had a 56 that was. Uh, that lost to one of Japan's few ends over 55, where Japan shot a 57. So it was uh, Japan, they won with consistency. They didn't, have, they didn't have the best shooting team, but they didn't have the worst shooting team. So nope. they, just did, I, I, they just stayed consistent the whole time. I honestly think that's quite insightful of you because I think, you know, if you, as you pointed out, Japan only had one end over 56, and that was against Korea. Um, or over 55 rather, and that was a 56 over uh, yeah. with Korea there. And then you had 55, 54, 53, but then when they needed it, they dropped that 57. 
Yeah. Usually these the teams lose because, you know, they'll shoot. They, they'll, they'll match their opponent. As their opponent's score goes up, theirs will go up. As their opponent's score goes down, theirs goes down. And they end up just losing anyways. But, you know, they kind of just did their own thing. They weren't reactionary to their opponents. And that's hard to do in two straight matches at the Olympics where you end up in uh, in a medal match. They didn't – so they maintained an even keel, which really says a lot about them. You know, they didn't uh, get emotional during any of those for any unnecessary reason. Nobody came closer to beating Korea so far than Japan. So, you know, that's yeah, another thing they was, can take some pride in. That was a great match. It really was. And, you know, the last time Japan won a medal in archery was the London Olympics. Uh, Furukawa won the silver and the women's team of Japan, which includes Ren Hayakawa, who's here for Tokyo. Uh, they won the bronze medal as a team. So you're looking at that, you know, fifth consecutive games for Furukawa. And he's going to continue to, you know, train and try to make the team for Paris. Um, great future. And, and to my point earlier about how any Olympic medal is a big deal, this is going to be a huge boost for archery in Japan, in my opinion. Um, yeah, and big boost nice for the AJAF. See, nice to see those other guys, you know, coming through and uh, yeah, Uto especially. Really, he's yeah, he's how old is he? Did you say? Uh, he's I think twenty four. So, all right, so he's got he's got some Olympics left in him, for sure, for sure. But you know, you've also got a situation where they've got some depth. I mean, there's some other great shooters in Japan uh, that just barely made, you know, just missed the cut for the team. And the team selection in Japan this year was a very tough one. Um, just cumulative scores of 70 meters only, no head-to-head. And, um, you know, if you consider uh, the depth that Japan has, uh, both in the men and the women, by the way, uh, I mean, some of the very top shooters of Japan from 2019 weren't able to make the team on the women's side. Uh, right. I'm sure we're going to see some of them back. Absolutely. You know, people like Kaori Kawanaka and uh, Ms. Sugiyama. I mean, they're going to be, they're definitely going to be back. And uh, I think that, you know, Japan's got a bright future with that kind of depth, uh, you know, in their, in their uh, stable of great shooters. But uh, this will be, this will be a very good thing uh, overall. Now, you may also point out that you've got a situation where no, no non Asian countries, were able to medal in the men's team category. If I were a travel planner or an event planner, I might be thinking, you know what? It might be a great idea to start sending our teams to some of the Asia Cups and some of the other events in Asia and yeah. start taking, you know, start taking some advantage of the opportunity to shoot against these teams more frequently. Yeah. To schedule work, that would be that would be a smart thing to do. Just the are, are they allowed to go shoot the Asia Cup, or is that just for Asian federations only? Nope, they are absolutely allowed to shoot it. In fact, nope, the USA used to USA used to send a team pretty regularly up until about five years ago. Huh. So you know, there's a there's a very accessible and inexpensive Asia Cup every year in Thailand, and uh, we used to you know U.S. archers used to be able to just you know sign up independently and go. And I think it'd be a great idea if that was something that they considered to do again. I mean, there's certainly some opportunity, uh, especially when you can get, you know, you get to shoot against the top archers in the world right now, the way this works. So something to think about for the future.
let's talk about this gold match because it reminded me a lot of 2016 with Korea yeah. coming out just stomping. Yeah, why don't you pick it up? Well, I mean, uh, 2016 was USA, Korea, and I want to say, I want to say Korea shot 59, 60, 58. That was how they came out, uh, and it was over. It was 6-0, right? Yeah, and yeah. I remember I was right there. I was 15 feet away from the stage, you know, like just standing there like a dork watching, and that place was that place was going crazy because these guys were they were hitting everything. Uh, you knew they were going to shoot a 10, and they had that coach. I don't know his name, but he is emphatic, you know, and he'll, he yells 10 after they smoke one and the place went wild, you know, and it was, that was just all, all I remember was him yelling 10 a lot. And yesterday Korea against Chinese Taipei, they come out and they open up with a 59, they followed up with a 60 and they close the match with a 56. It was another, I mean, they just put on a, a clinic. That's what they do yep. in the gold medal match, I guess. Yep. It was absolutely a clinic. It was absolutely domination. And not to take anything away from Chinese Taipei. I mean, look at their scores. No. Those they two shot, themselves as well. They, they would have awesome. won against anybody else. They would have won against yeah. anybody else. And I really like uh, Wei Chun Hung. Uh, Wei Chun Hang, rather. I uh, I met him at 2017 World Championships. If I'm not mistaken, he was second there. I think he lost to Im Dong Hoon, maybe. Yeah, it could be. I need to fact check myself I, on this. I have a feeling you're right. Um, but, you know, look at Chinese Taipei. 55, 58, 55. Would have beaten anybody. Yeah, they shot so well. And, and they're, they're two new shooters. They're young ones. They were, they were solid. You know, they were. They hung right in. Fact, in there. I think one of them, I think one of them had the highest average. Okay, I was right about 2017 Worlds. Um you know, and he lost that one. If I remember right, it was in a shoot off and they both shot eights or something like that. And you could yeah. tell he, yeah. he he knew he had just blown his his chance because, you know, M shot an eight and, and he thought, all right, you know, <laughs> this is this is done. And, and he shot an eight or a seven. Anyhow, M ended up with the win. But really nice, really nice young man and talented shooter. And I think he kind of gets lost in just the, the the region where he's at you know all the the attention in asia and in the world rightfully goes to the korean archers but there's a lot of talented archers from everywhere just like you know you know the japanese market really well so you know who all of them are um but most of us don't know chinese taipei market or, or who's coming from there other than maybe you know, Tanya Ting on the women's side, but this guy's been around and he's, he's proven to be a great shooter. And, and now he's got a silver medal. So, you know, what's good interesting for, him, good for the Chinese Taipei team, you know, it occurs to me, both Korea and Chinese Taipei um, have something in common. And that is they don't have a huge population of archers. There's 1500 registered archers in Korea. And there's about that many in Chinese Taipei, in Taiwan. And you're looking at a city, because I can say Taiwan, this is our podcast. <laughs> the, the reality is it's programs. It is the development and the coaching 
they have relatively small pools of people to select from relative to the United States, where we now have well over 40,000 members of USA Archery, relative to Japan even, where every high school, pretty much, and most universities have an archery program. And while archery is not practiced as widely by working adults in Japan as it is here in the United States, there's still about 40,000 active archers in Japan. Korea has 1,500. Chinese Taipei has 1,500. So how are they able to create such success on the Olympic stage? Coaching they don't let you programs. register unless you're really good, maybe. Yeah, there, there's that too. Yeah. <laughs> to be fair, you're right. I mean, you know, there's some of that. I mean, yeah, that's there's some truth to the, to the joke. But the reality is that you don't need sheer numbers. I mean, you want proof? France has the biggest sheer numbers of any WA country. There are more than 70,000 yeah. registered shooters in France. I don't think yeah, France it's has a, the depth that you might expect for having 70,000 shooters in their federation. No, and even one of them recently said that. They said, you know, we should have, for the size of our of our federation, we should be having more success and, and churning out more quality archers. Um, and they, yeah... That's Could that why, be a that's matter of focus, Korea, you know? That's, that's why I said with, uh, with Korea, you know, these guys, they just disappear because they come in and, and they, they win, they get busy, and they jump off the conveyor belt of continual archery improvement, and it's hard to get back on. Or by the time yeah. they get back on, everyone's passed them up. Like, that's why I said I hope him – yeah, Doc is still around after this. Yeah, Olympics. I hope he I makes mean, Tom, some more. Tom teams. said the same thing. Tom said the exact same thing. You heard him say it. It was oh. uh, it was his point that Kim Jidok has a great future if he can continue to make teams because arguably yeah. it's harder to make the team in Korea. I mean, you know, who has had more success, arguably, uh, other than Im Dong Hyung and Oh Jin Hyuk, when it comes to repeatedly making teams? Nobody. Really difficult. Not easy. So. But, you know, again, it comes down to focus. Are you focused on growing your federation and having more members and having more coaches and a structure, or are you focused on success at the big events? Because Korea's actually got arguably more money to work with. You know, they've gone after sponsorships. They have large, large non-endemic sponsors in Korea for archery. They're taking that money and they're focusing it on just what we saw. USA Archery has had really good success growing the member base, growing a coaching program, et cetera. But is the focus also there? I think it may be going forward. I think that might be some priorities that may possibly shift. Who knows? We'll have to see. But I think yeah. that if you consider what Korea has done, what Chinese Taipei has done, and what Japan has done, then you understand that you know, you've got to pick what you're going to do. Are you going to have a sport for everybody? Are you going to balance it like Japan has done? Or are you going to have a very tightly focused sport for the elite like it is in Korea and to a degree Chinese Taipei? Mm -hmm. Speaking personally, I like, I like the Japanese approach a little better. I like the opportunity for everybody to participate, but still have focus on high performance. And, uh, you know, to agree, certainly you could argue USA has done that. Uh, largely thanks to, you know, um, Jim Easton's contribution of that training center in Chula Vista. Right. 
Okay, we've got something you and I need to need to work out between us here because you're wrong. Well, hold on. Before we get to that, did you see that Japan won both men's and women's uh, street skateboarding? That's going to make the folks at Hasco really happy. They won the women's yesterday, too. You know, Hasco is the uh, second biggest archery distributor in Japan. But what a lot of people don't realize is their, their archery business is very small compared to their skateboard business. Did you know that? I did not know that, but I wish I had when I visited them because I probably would have picked up uh, uh, maybe a complete deck and, and skated a little bit. Oh, and they've got some wicked. 13-year-old won yesterday. Oh, boy. That's just the the, the women's skateboarding. The women's skateboarding medalists were 13, 13, and 16. Well, I'm not surprised on some level. There aren't too many professional skateboarders making money at it in their 20s and 30s, are there? I don't think there are. Uh, not in the women's side, no. In the men's side, yes. Well, like but Tony Hawk? Yeah, he's like 50-something. But uh, no, like... <laughs> like uh, Nigel Houston, he was the favorite to win. And he went out and he's like, ah, I'm not going to try to win. I'm just going to try to land huge tricks. And it didn't work out for him. But uh, yeah, yeah the, so Japan, they, they picked the event as a demo event and they are making the most of it. I really like it. You know what else? You know what else Hasco sells besides skateboards and archery stuff? Um, hold on. Let me guess. Give me a hint. Very similar to skateboarding. Rollerblades, but winter time. Snowboards, yeah, a lot of snowboarding there, huh? Yeah, a lot of snowboarding. Snowboarding's popular. So, yeah, you won't find too many uh, of Hasco's staff skiing at Alta. Hmm. No snowboards cool. allowed at Alta. So, anyway, okay. all right. Back to now. Your structure. Back to why you're pants. wrong. Go ahead. You're gonna have to point. You're gonna have to point this out because I there I can't be in agreement with that. Everybody who listens to the podcast knows that your field quiver narrative is in trouble right now, my friend. Look upon no. the medalists. Gaze upon the champions, Steve. What are they using? The vast majority of people standing on the podium in Tokyo. What are they using? Say it. Doesn't archery success doesn't make you right about anything. And when the rules change, they will strip them of their medals. Steve, they are using target quivers. Nobody's going to follow your plan to force everybody to use field quivers. Not after this. Not when the winners are using target. Steve, your favorite Hold archer. Hold on. Your no, favorite archer. You just said the winners. Using, meat is using a target quiver. You just said the winners are using target quivers. But the medalists are. But the winners, two-thirds of them... If you're a medalist in the Olympic quiver. Games, you are a winner. If you're a medalist in the Olympic Games, <laughs> I'm you an are American. A I don't say that. I, okay, Ansan. Ansan. Winner? Yes. Target quiver. Jang Min He. Winner? Target quiver. Kang Che. You know what? Winner? I'm going to put up target this quiver. photo. I'm going to put up this photo of Kim Woo Jin showing the proper way to wear a quote unquote target quiver, which I think is called a uh, I call him a hip quiver here. I don't care how you wear um, a target quiver. It's a target quiver. He's wearing it like swung around like behind his butt. So it's out of the way. So he's not hitting everyone with his gigantic freaking quiver. It's a so quiver. when this rule, 
I'm hearing a lot of support for this rule at World Archery Congress. Um, they're saying it's going to be 2022 rule book 1.1. Thou shalt not wear a target quiver and be in everybody's way with this gigantic monstrosity. Steve, rule 1. your argument is weak. Your argument is weak. First off, I already proved to you winners wear target quivers. What kind Ogin of quiver do you wear? Ojin Hook in London, target quiver. <laughs> You have a field quiver. That's not because I'm winning. It's because it's really <laughs> it's convenient to travel with. It's better. I like. I happen to like my Easton field quiver a lot because it travels really well and it does everything I need. But I'm not a winner these days. Okay. Listen. Ogen all Hook, I did was winner. propose the rule. I, I'm. I'm telling you, nobody's going to follow. Nobody's going to follow you on this one, man. Not when they've seen. And San and all of these other great shooters with target quivers. Yeah, we'll and, see. I've and, got sales and, info here that says and otherwise. I've got another thing to bring up with you. You you said to me when I made this argument that they hadn't imported field quivers into Korea way back when Ojin Hyuk won the London Olympic Games. They had not and, started. They hadn't there was an embargo against them. And then he realized that success in archery didn't make him cool, so he took other means to bolster his image. But you're wrong, because Ojin Hyuk invented cool on the day he was born. Oh, boy. Invented cool archers on August He's 15th, not going to listen to this. You don't have to be, you know, such a, a butt kisser. I'm just telling you, Ojin Hyuk invented cool. And speaking of cool, we need to bring back the sweatband. Yeah, that the thing's Easton, sweet. The Easton sweatband. We need oh, to bring back that, the Easton well, sweatband. But I was talking about, yeah, that one and the one. So O's been the wearing headband. this headband. I yeah. assume, and I saw Brady's wearing one. I assume it's to keep sweat out of the eyes. Yes. Like the when actual 90% humidity. Yeah. 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 You're literally getting, you're literally pouring sweat on that field. So, oh, yeah. Absolutely. I, I know all about it. I'm a pretty sweaty guy as is. And then you get me in that kind of humidity and it's just, terrible so i think headbands sweatbands those things are going to be those things are going to be um really coming to the forefront it's not going to be about hip quivers field quivers the the future of archery product as i see it is in sweat containment systems yes i wholeheartedly agree with you uh, I will point out that uh, sweat containment systems were a long time part of my archery career. And I'm going to send you an epic photo later to prove it. I'm going to order a thousand sweatbands right now. <laughs>